Welcome to the Home Assistant Podcast, episode number 10. Today I'm joined by Phil and Rowan. Hey guys. Hey, how's it going? Nice to have you back, Phil, after your uh, vacation. Thank you very much. A little bit of a hiatus from the podcast. Yeah, well, I can't say I missed the podcast. I was uh, getting uh, some nice sun before it disappeared from Europe, and now I'm (laughs) waiting for it to come back down here in Australia. And later on, you're going to tell us about some new toys that you've acquired since you've been talking to us last, which was actually quite a while ago. Exactly. Uh, So then the next podcast in a fortnight, we're going to talk about some advanced configuration techniques, uh, mostly focusing on splitting out your configuration.yaml into separate files and directories and things like that. Um, So we'll put out a blog post and an example code repo as well so that you can follow along and see how... You can make your configuration.yaml a heck of a lot easier to read. Yeah, that's uh, definitely useful too. Yes, it's pretty much the, when I, you know, jumped in and went, right, I'm redoing everything. That's the first thing I did was split everything out. <laughs> yeah. That was the, one of the reasons I rewrote all my config was I was I just couldn't find anything, you know, I needed to adjust an automation for one of the rooms turning off and on at the wrong time. It's like, where the hell is it? This file's too big now split it out and yeah i'm sure now i'm even at the point again where i'm ready to start from scratch again and reorganize it properly yeah you learn so much from just using it that you go oh, there's a better way i could be doing this yeah exactly yeah. so hacktoberfest 2017 we're halfway through i know i actually got an email from uh digital ocean the other day and they featured uh home assistant as one of their uh top repositories uh that got contributed to last year oh wow, wow. yeah that's cool very cool. That's a, that's a really neat shout out. Yeah, it's a big shout out. That hopefully drives some pretty decent traffic. Mm-hmm. Right. So before we jump into 5.5 and 5.6, Phil, tell us about all your new toys. Okay. So as you do when you're away on holiday, you do some online shopping uh, when some good deals come up. And I actually uh, ended up buying a whole bunch of some uh, Xiaomi sensors, so door window sensors, temperature sensors, and also some wireless switches. Uh, one thing I found when I was away that we ha- I had some uh, friends staying in the apartment and they couldn't t- turn some lights on and off when the sensors ran out of battery. So get some um, <laughs> switches in here for them. <laughs> I'm sure I was a favorite friend there. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. So I've got a whole bunch of Xiaomi stuff I'm trying to uh, set up. I've, I wish it was uh, as simple as, you know, installing Philips Hue, but I've run into some issues. So I'm in the process of trying to uh, document it and, blog post it and put some proper instructions out there for everyone. But yeah, the sensors, they're um, really cheap. They're really tiny as well. I was um, surprised at how small they are. They actually fit in your hand, whereas when you're looking at on the online store, they look like they're going to be this god-awful huge sensor. But no, they're really tiny. They look really high quality and they're cheap. Like it's ridiculously cheap for them. So yeah, great little way to, I don't know what I'm going to put the sensors on yet, but they're going around the apartment but, somewhere. But you have them now. Yeah. Exactly. I have many, and um, I'm sure I'll find interesting uses for them. <laughs> yeah, it'd be good to have a... Yeah, so what I was going to ask is, are you replacing sensors, or are you? did you just buy them and you don't because you don't have any today? Well, I've got um, Z-Wave sensors everywhere. So I've got the AOTech 6-in-1 sensor, and I've got three of those. They haven't worked out so well for me. I've also got like seven-odd of the original four-in-one sensors. They've been great, but I've just found that the reporting times, you know, 
with the temperatures, it takes like 12, 15 minutes for the temperatures to come in. And in Australia here, and I'm on like a second floor, it can get really hot if the air conditioner turns off for 15 minutes. So I want to get more sensors, but I don't want to pay, you know, it's like Australian 70 bucks per centor, sensor mm. or something like that. So they're not cheap. And then I noticed uh, the Xiaomi gateway is being added to Home Assistant. And those sensors are like 12 US dollars each or something, maybe even cheaper than that. So uh, if I can get a whole bunch of these sensors and complement the Z-Wave, existing Z-Wave stuff, yeah, I may as well go Zigbee and just complement them in. And that way, if something ever happens to the Z-Wave network where I don't get updates in time or something, at least there's a another network in place offering temperature updates as well. Interesting. Okay. It's a pretty good use case. Mm. I found like the reliability of Z-Wave just because their battery, you know, I've got to replace the batteries or for some reason like the Vera Hub may go offline or whatever, then I lose a whole network. And as soon as Home Assistant stops, can't get that visibility, it sort of cuts out, you know, the air conditioner won't turn on and then we're... We look like an idiot. I have to find the remote control and turn the air conditioner on. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Yeah, it's all about throwing as much data as you possibly can at Home Assistant, isn't it? I think I bang on about this constantly, but the, the more you give it, the better it can actually perform. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. Yeah, I've been looking at them and then I've been looking at like the setup process and going, yeah, I'm going to let other people do this first. <laughs> I made the mistake of, I thought, that's what I'll do a, a quick tutorial video, I'll be fine. So I, I started, you know, filming and then I'm sitting there and I'm like, nothing's working. This isn't supposed to happen. Like, <laughs> uh, so then I've had to, you know, it took me like hours to work out that it was the one little simple setting to that I needed to do. And then I was able to finally link up one of the sensors. So it's uh, not a very uh, user intuitive app, but mm-hmm. for the price point, I think you get what you pay for. And mm. once you get over the technology, limitations of the app you can just run it through home assistant and forget about it yeah it sounds like once you get it into home assistant it just works but maybe getting there is a bit of a challenge pretty much like the limitless led lights i find yes. the my light app i have my i'm using a google pixel as my daily driver but i have my galaxy note 4 just in laying around still because of the my light app it doesn't work in the latest android version and ever need to hook up another limitless led bulb I need that app. Mm. Mm. That's a mess. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get what you pay for again. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Again, that's the problem though, right? Right now there's nothing cheap and works flawlessly. That's right? right. You either pay a decent amount and get good quality or or you don't. Pretty much. But with things like Home Assistant, once you you know, get around the bugs and the issues with the cheap stuff and get it working and leave it alone, it works. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of times it's just getting the first one going, right? And I mean, Phil, it kind of sounds like that was your challenge as well. Now yeah. you know how to get exactly the first right. one going. Yeah. Once I've got the first one in, then the rest should hopefully be simple. <laughs> in theory. Exactly. Cool. Right. Moving on over. Python 3.4 support is being deprecated as of uh, the 5.5 release, which is now out. So if you fire up Home Assistant, you're going to get a little, uh, sorry, we don't really support. 5.4 anymore, please fix things. <laughs> Especially considering that Python 3.5 has been out since uh, this time last, this time two years ago. It's probably time to upgrade, though. The I'm using Raspbian uh, Jesse, and that has Python 3.4. So I'm going to have to update my Pi 
um, or manually pull in a new Python. So what's the update process like for that? Yeah, is that going to be so. like a, a a big effort for you or is it just going to be simple, like a, one simple command you're going to have to run? I'm going to attempt to do an in-place Debian upgrade to Stretch, which is the next one up. It may or may not go well. <laughs> <laughs> if it doesn't, I'll just blow it all away and start again. But I think it's going to be worth it for the performance increases and the fact that I'm not going to be able to use it come the start of 2018, which is is fair enough because there's so much that, you know, improves with 3.5 and 3.6, and it's just a massive overhead having to, you know, stay in old versions of libraries that only support 3.4. So, yeah, it's a reasonably simple upgrade. And for people that are, you know, using HES.io or things like that, it's going to be very simple. Yeah. Have you have you considered uh, Dockerizing? Again, this is why I'm a huge fan of Docker, just because uh, totally I don't have to deal with this. Yeah, I'm using the BLE radio on my Pi 3 quite heavily, and having it go mm-hmm. directly into Home Assistant makes life quite easy. Uh, I've got a whole bunch yeah. of Bluetooth low-energy buttons attached to all my light switches. So, yeah, I'm going to stick with the Pi if I can, mostly just so for that. So I use, like... Bluetooth with Docker as well, and I haven't had any issues like that. Yeah, I guess I'm just being lazy because there's a BLE radio <laughs> already built into the Pi 3. <laughs> oh, okay, fair enough, yeah. Yeah, and it, yeah, just, it works. So, yeah, I'll update and see what happens, and if it is, goes terribly, I might have to have a look at something like Docker. I can run Docker on the Pi 3, so maybe I should do that. Yeah, that is uh, supported as far as I know, so mm. I just don't know if the uh, if there's any dependencies on Home Assistant Image for it so yeah might have to if you've got a pi 3 running home assistant is there any reason you don't want to use has.io i'm not a big fan of how much it abstracts everything Mm -hmm. makes it hard to you know get into the bones of it which is kind of the point of it because you you know you make it easier for everyone else but i like being able to dig in um and that it makes it a little bit harder yeah fair enough a little less customizable yeah exactly that's my main reason if someone wants to convince me otherwise, I'm more than happy to listen because um, <laughs> it is I, I keep easier. seeing, because um, I'm stuck with like a Docker at the moment and you see all these like component repositories and one-click installs and that seems like very tempting just to throw Home Assistant on a Pi or run and then run has.io and, you know, just one-click have DuckDNS and all your certificates handled for you. It's very tempting for that though. Yeah. Yeah. One thing, I, I agree with that. One thing that I kind of hit was not being able to keep an eye on how much RAM I'm using. Okay. Interesting. Can you not? There might be ways around that, though, just to, even if you top or any of those kind of things. Yeah, because I presume that if you turn on too many add-ons, you're going to end up running out of RAM. I haven't... I've been kind of monitoring the forums, and I haven't really seen any indications of how HESIO will deal with that if you do run out of RAM. Mm-hmm. It may be that I'm missing Fair something, enough. but I haven't... Yeah, I haven't been able to see anyone mention that. I hear a feature request coming. Yeah. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm the kind of person that will go, oh, all this stuff runs on it, so let's do it all, and then it breaks because I've run out of RAM. Yeah. All right, so speaking of the 5.5 release, um, if I go back to the page, because I got sidetracked by looking at the HESIO forum, <laughs> DuckDNS is one of the big things. Mm-hmm. So that's now nicely integrated which is good so yeah even if you're not a 
a HathIO user now you can use DuckDNS? You know, this is one of those ad, like components that I thought, oh, I, I never thought about it, but it makes sense that like this should have been in there ages ago. Like the yeah. amount of times we've talked about DuckDNS, it's just surprising that no one's actually thought to uh, make a component for it. Yeah, so many people are using it. You just see everyone talking about it, and yeah, makes sense. Yeah, definitely. Right, what else have we got? OwnTracks HTTP. Um, support has been added, so if you're, for some crazy reason, I don't know why you wouldn't be, but if you're not using MQTT, <laughs> um, you can now <laughs> yeah. get, you know, OwnTracks um, information, location information in. I guess it, it does have other benefits as well because it means you don't have to either set up a VPN or expose your own your MQTT to the internet. HTTP is a lot easier to make secure from outside of your network because MQTT encryption and everything is actually fairly complicated. Yeah, I've, I, it's funny. I've actually been playing with that for the last couple of days just to try and figure out uh, how I want to expose MQTT or rather have an MQTT server up in the cloud and then bring it down securely. Yeah, because there's a lot of options, you know, like bridging, brokers, and a lot of terminology that I think is a bit off-putting. I know I looked at it. I was like, oh, I don't understand what that does. Mm, doesn't make sense to me. I'll just leave it alone. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, it's, yeah, HTTP exposing to the internet is much easier. Continue to use, you know, MQTT inside your house because that's easy. You can do authenticate it if you really want to, but uh, if you're got all your home automation stuff on a separate network which is generally a good idea if you know how it's probably pretty okay just to leave it open yeah one thing that i didn't know existed for not not in much detail was the things network which has support that's been put in place in 5.5 which is a lower wan network the um unfortunately because of the way it works and you know you need gateways around for it to work in New Zealand being in the middle of nowhere. There's not many <laughs> gateways in New Zealand. Yeah. I'm curious who's using LoRaWAN at home. It's, 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 uh, that's an interesting technology to be. So um, I'm going to be, be a, a total noob here and just ask, what, what is all this? <laughs> it's essentially just another protocol to work with. It's, I'm trying to find the proper specification because I know a bit about it, but not enough. But essentially, think of it as a uh, lower frequency technology, i.e. it travels further than things like Wi-Fi. Okay. If I might be getting that backwards. Yeah, no, yeah. I think I have yeah, that right. right. Yeah. And then, so again, based on that now, for larger areas, let's say you have, I don't know, maybe a really large backyard or something, or you've got a couple of acres, Right, so that might be a better technology than a Zigbee, Z-Wave, Wi-Fi, etc. Uh-huh, okay. Again, I'm grossly oversimplifying this, and again, folks, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but that's the way I understand it. That's the big use case for it. I know LoRa is used in a lot more industrial situations, or at least it's being investigated for that, uh, rather than at home and things like that, but yeah. Yeah, so, so I'm guessing it might be useful for maybe like agricultural farms or something like that where they may have sensors out in the field and they need to travel over long distances. Would, would totally. that be right there? Yeah. Totally. Yeah, and it's low power as well. So, yeah, you know, your batteries and your lower end probes last, you know, can last up to a couple of years. Oh, that's yeah. fantastic. And, exactly. yeah, super long range. So 
there's a Laura Wang gateway on the top of the Sky Tower in Auckland, which is a which is a 300 meter tall tower in the middle of a city in New Zealand, and wow. apparently it can see Laura Wang devices about 80 or 90 k's away. Yeah. Wow. So it's yeah, yeah, and you can buy a from the Things Network people. You can buy a 300 dollar gateway that you you know sit on a shelf in your house, and it should be able to see things about 10 k's away. Which is, I think, which I think is sixteen miles, isn't it? One point. Oh, Let's other way around. Yes. <laughs> six, six miles. Other way around. One point yeah. six I'm, I, miles I to okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, about six miles away, just with a you know a standard gateway, and if you put it on a really really tall tower, it can see a lot further away. So I guess the yeah, the yeah. advantages you know with the things network is if you have enough in a country that you have you know pretty decent coverage, you can rely on it to you know, sense things all around the country rather than just by your house. Exactly. So is everything open or if I buy like a, a sensor to put out in my backyard, does that mean everyone can read its values? Or is it a bit like Philips Hue where you have to link them up to the one gateway? I think That's that, a great question. I think that the Things <laughs> Network kind of wraps a protocol of some description over the top of it that, you know, gives you a bit of control over it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I know I am reading the spec from the LoRa Alliance right now, and it, and it is saying there is a kind of application-based and device-based and network-based keys that, uh, from a, for a security perspective. So I'm, I'm guessing there would need to be some kind of pairing process. Fair enough, yep. Mm. And between the sensor and the, essentially the, the LoRa network server, all the traffic there is encrypted. You do have to remember, though, the, because of how large of a coverage range it has, again, you're not really sending video traffic or anything through there, right? And actually, I'm looking at the data rates right now. It's 0.3 kilobits a second to 50 kilobits a second. So yeah, that's, that's nothing. Tiny. Yeah, you're not going to yeah. use it for Netflix. No, <laughs> no, exactly. Exactly. You can try, but probably won't end up too, <laughs> going too well. But yeah, so that's a little bit about Laura. Well, once again, there's something that I didn't know existed and now I need to buy it. So thank you very much. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's funny because Dale and I were kind of talking about that last episode, right? In terms of there's just so many protocols out there. What do you pick? And then each one kind of needs its hub, things like that. LoRa, as far as I know, is on an unregulated spectrum. But again, I don't know what that means in terms of who actually like are because it's just so widespread, I'm not sure how or if there's any potential issues with it being unregulated. Yeah, imagine, so. you know, if you're on the same frequency with, you know, 50 other people within 10Ks of you and you're going to interfere with each other. It's, yeah, because it kind of has yeah. the the markings of something that could become a standard because of how powerful it is. But there are things like that that need to be considered. Yeah, I believe it is a standard. Mm. But again, don't quote me on that. But I guess when I say standard, I mean, you know, replace Zigbee and Z-Wave and things like that as, you know, one thing that everyone uses for all their automation kit. Yeah, I don't see that happening, to be honest. Yeah, if it's like so, like if it covers such a broad area, surely it would be better to have faster localized updates than Mm -hmm. slow. Like, I don't care if I can read data from another city away. I just want to know what the dishwasher is doing. <laughs> <Yeah, true. laughs> 
Yeah. Again, it's meant for more, again, larger, wider applications, right? If you're a service mm. provider, for example, that's doing monitoring of things for people, or if you're a mining company or something like that, I think that's uh, it's a little more useful for you uh, rather than yeah, what, <laughs> what our target uh, audience is. <laughs> I guess mm. it could be uh, a good use case for farm assistant. I know we talked about the home assistant yeah. walk of that on the first episode. But, you know, like just monitoring things around a farm, you know, has the have the cows down there got enough water for today? You know, what's the moisture like in the ground over there? That makes mm-hmm. sense because, you know, you're not going to use Z-Wave or anything like that on a property like that. Yeah, that's a ton of antennas. That's a ton of, you know, radios you got to get out there, right? And cabling yeah. for the radios. Even if you mm. build a mesh, it's still, you still have to power it somehow, right? Having... 100 radios out there with batteries isn't really a scalable solution. So, And surely uh, there's got to be some person that owns a, a nice huge mansion that is using Home Assistant and, you know, they'll need a long distance to find out if the shooting range has got enough or the tennis courts have got enough water for today. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't know, would people with that kind of money be using Home Assistant? Uh, depends. Well, yeah, I guess it really depends. I mean, yeah. if it's someone like a tech person, they might, you know, I guess, a bit like us, they, they'd be pretty you know, interested to tinker. Mm. But otherwise, you, if you've got that much money, you probably just pay to have the problem solved. Yeah, there's plenty <laughs> of commercial automation systems out there that will do everything you need. Exactly. Yeah. I could see someone like a dead mouse or something, uh, the EDM artist, who would play with something like that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. That's a good point, actually. Yeah, I think there's a video floating around of him using uh, an Amazon Echo to control the lights in his uh, music studio. Yeah, it's pretty funny. This is a complete, total side note and just, uh, sidetrack. He, uh, he, when Uber first came out in, uh, in Toronto, he uh, took his Ferrari, or uh, the Ferrari as he calls it, and uh, started giving people Uber rides. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. It's uh, it's really funny. People are going to be going, are you serious? <laughs> That's so funny. I would take it. <laughs> yeah. You wouldn't say no to that. <laughs> exactly. So, Phil, you're having a look at what we can expect in 5.6. Yeah, it's a bit early for us because we're on the, the wrong week. I just A um, mm. lot of uh, pull requests coming in with Hacktoberfest and all that. But uh, an interesting one uh, that Kevin submitted will be uh, coming in 5.6 is an uptime sensor for Home Assistant. So you'll be able to track how long Home Assistant's been up and running right on the UI. So you may be able to run some automations on that, you know, maybe after Home Assistant's been running for an hour, do this or something like mm. that. Yeah, I find that mine needs a, a restart after a couple of days if it's, you know, if I haven't been fiddling with it and restarting it manually, it might need a, yeah, exactly. a restart to... Especially my Wemo motion sensors, they tend to drop off. Yeah, Wemo's notoriously unreliable, especially, again, so if you're in tech and you're using non-standard routers and things like that, the, the technologies it relies on are pretty uh, unreliable. <laughs> so, yeah, a lot of times it needs a good kick. Though I do have mine pretty stable. I'll share my, uh, I've just got, I've set everything to static IPs on my Wemo. Mm. And I'll share my config with you as well, Dan, if you if it, if it helps. Yeah, yeah, I've I found that Ubiquiti Unify APs tend to work pretty well with them. I had some mm-hmm. uh, Cambium Enterprise access points, and they would just drop off constantly. So I went right. I'm throwing these out. <laughs> yeah, 
it's uh, I'm I'm trying to pull away from uh, from Wemo wherever I can. I was actually just telling uh, Phil uh, while you were uh, before the episode started uh, while you were out that I've started moving over to Lutron. It's so mm. far it's been rock solid. That's um, good. I've had zero issues and it's really useful or really works well. So. And so what's the integration like with Home Assistant? Is it a, an official, like, proper solid integration, or is it sort of like a hack on a, a hub that isn't really supported that could go away with a firmware update or something? The Wemo? Uh, or Lutron? Uh, no, the, the Lutron, sorry. For the Lutron? No, it's, uh, it seems to be a proper package and everything. Uh, oh, great. Though I say that as my uh, thing is broken right now. But <laughs> <laughs> barring that, uh, that's a little bit of troubleshooting on my side that needs to be done. But Essentially, all the config is is you pop in the uh, pop in the IP address of of the bridge, and uh, it just goes and leverages the APIs in there. Great. So it was working fantastic until about two days ago, where I don't know what I did. Um, <laughs> but yeah, awesome. I think that's probably about it. That's a reasonably solid half an hour episode. We'll have a be back to having a special topic next fortnight. And no doubt we'll have more with the 5.6 release to talk about as well. Perfect. Look forward to it. Thanks, guys. Sounds good. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Take care.